Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Fake News Friday. My name is Andrew Lawton, joined, as always, by Harrison Faulkner for another week of debunking the much-needed uh, debunkables that we get from a lot of mainstream media. Harrison, how was the week? Good, sir. It's been good. I feel good that I'm, I've now resumed my normal position on the show, Andrew, or at least some things that are normal because we're still in that sort of influx of of co-host, host, and all that, but it's good to be back and good to join you once again. Yeah, we try to throw us all off kilter so we never just get too comfortable or complacent where we are. It's a great strategy, really. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this one here. So we, we've seen that conspiracy theorization, and I, I guess that's the name for when you just start calling things conspiracy theories, has become a favored pastime of the media. In particular now, CBC claiming that insect protein, that eating bugs is a conspiracy theory. Here's the headline from an article this week, how a London, Ontario cricket plant found itself at the heart of an international conspiracy theory. And they talk about how this so-called conspiracy theory has been circulating for months. It's been in English, it's been in Chinese, it's been around the world, in the UK and the US and all of that. And it involves a factory in my neck of the woods in London, Ontario. Now, I am not in on the conspiracy. I want to make that very clear. But the point of it is that they're saying that people focusing on this facility, this plant that's making crickets for human consumption, which was a tweet that was put out by the developers of this factory, is a conspiracy theory. Well, what's the conspiracy? People saying, yes, we are going to be eating bugs in the future, and a plant saying, yes, we're making bugs for people to eat. Well, exactly. What, what, when exactly does a conspiracy theory become a fact when the people who are actually involved in the production of this farm are admitting to talking about, for example, creating crickets for human consumption. And then Ellis Don, the, the developers of this factory, Andrew, as you said, they even admitted it themselves. They said this is going to be the biggest cricket factory in the world. This is going to be a, they're going to revolutionize the human diet, things like this. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous here. And I find it bizarre, this weird sort of CBC cleanup act almost trying to trying to cover for this cricket farm when these when this cricket farm isn't really doing the job themselves they say they're trying to uh they say in the article that the the, the cricket farm is now not talking about human consumption because it's, it's fueling conspiracy theories they're only talking about creating crickets for animal consumption but we all know andrew that it's not really a conspiracy theory is it that the, the idea of eating crickets, the idea of, of, of eating bugs as, some, as a way to replace meat is not really a conspiracy theory. The, peop the people that actually create these farms uh, admit it themselves. So it's very bizarre to me that when you've got Aspire, the actual company who's making, the, making the, the, this cricket farm, on Twitter, they talk about, they, they wrote a tweet that says things like this. Throughout history, insects have been a part of our diets, but how we raise them has evolved to scale. We spoke with The Economist earlier this week and discussed our new facility. So not really saying, Andrew, that these crickets are not for human consumption. They're actually kind of leading into that. And then they also wrote a tweet saying this, Aspire pioneers precision insect farming at scale, realizing the potential, the potential of nature through the power of tech to enable innovative industries to create products and materialize that prioritize the health and sustainability of our world. If it's just for, if it's just for animals and not humans, Andrew, why don't they say it? Yeah, I mean, the reality is when you talk to environmentalists, the, the big thing they really harp on 
is that meat consumption is terrible for the environment. Cows, cattle, they take up a lot of space. They uh, have a lot of carbon emissions. Uh, bovine flatulence is the big issue that they all like to warn about in the United States. So they basically say that, yes, all of us should be vegetarians because it's better for the climate. So it's not all that surprising when you see companies that are coming up with alternatives to meat like crickets because there is a growing appetite, no pun intended, of people that are going vegetarian or going vegan even. And I don't know how the vegans are on the crickets, but I think some of the vegetarians are good with it. But it, it's when you have people talk about this in like a central planning way, like we need to start moving other people off of meat as opposed to just letting people decide for themselves. And this is where you talk about the World Economic Forum, talk, uh, which promotes at great length the idea of cricket eating as the future and a lot of environmentalist groups do. But it, it's not a conspiracy theory when it's happening. And it's like grade A gaslighting 101 to say no 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 this thing that you're looking at and using their own words for is not happening at all you can't talk about that it's a conspiracy theory yeah exactly and again there's so many there's so many examples of this and they've decided to go after this aspire cricket facility this cricket factory perhaps because it's the biggest in the world and it's got a lot of people talk there's a lot of people talking about it but in at the beginning of august the toronto star wrote an article about this company and about this this uh this new factory, and then in the article, so from one month to the next, Andrew, we've talked about this, how conspiracy theories can go from being complete fact, absolute fact, one month, and the next month, they're a conspiracy theory, or the other way around. A conspiracy theory starts one month later, it becomes fact. A month ago, these people at the Aspire Cricket Factory were talking about, in the Toronto Star, this, this quote right here, given the dire state of the world's food supply, it's increasingly tempting to create a new alternative protein. That's what the star was talking about just a month ago. So talk about gaslighting. I mean, people people must be reading this and thinking, hold on a minute, did I just not read an article a month ago saying that this is exactly for human consumption? This is the kind of stuff that I think drives people nuts. Yeah, so basically when they say it's a conspiracy theory that folks are talking about this cricket factory in London, they're basically focusing on one thing, which is what are people saying and how does it differ from reality? The only way I could think of if you were saying this was a conspiracy theory is if you were arguing that this specific factory was part of something that Trudeau was doing. And I mean, it did get some government funding or part of something Klaus Schwab was doing. I mean, they do talk about why, why we're eating bugs and all that. I, I don't think there's anything nefarious about the factory itself. I think there's a market and they're going along with it because clearly if you can make some money off of people that are going to be eating bugs, then fine, do it. But it, it's not at all something that I see even in the CBC article where they can point to where the conspiracy is and, and what people believe that isn't actually correct. And even there's this one professor they quote who talked about how it's like, oh, it's all part of the anti-government sentiment and they're tapping into the same things we saw with the Freedom Convoy. And then she says, this is a cricket factory to make pet food because that's where the evidence points to. Yeah, but also human food. So where's the fake news really coming from here? The so-called experts or the so-called conspiracy theorists? Exactly. I mean, evidence says, so this professor says the evidence is pointing to, uh, to animal food, but the people who actually run the facility have been talking about human food the entire time. Again, it's just, 
it's just a ridiculous story. And one of those things that, again, I think we've talked about this before too, where a lot of these legacy media outlets will play with their headlines, knowing very well that the majority of people that come across the headlines will read the headline, maybe get to the first paragraph. And then those that get to the first paragraph, only a small portion of them will ever get to the end of the article. So they can, they can run with this fact. They can run with this idea that this is just a conspiracy theory and people will take it as fact without actually reading it. And then, you know, they'll, then they'll start questioning everything they see. It's, it's, it's a very bizarre trend we're seeing or the legacy media are trying to define conspiracy theories, clean up conspiracy theories, uh, and, and take facts, take things that maybe don't look so great and, and turn them into conspiracy theories to cover for these companies. I don't know. Maybe that's a reach, but it's very bizarre. Uh, speaking of bizarre, why don't you talk about what's happening in Alberta? Well, so I read this article, I saw a post on social media, this is earlier in the week, I think at the beginning of the week, and it was Jason Kenney standing with uh, Mark Milkey, who's a part of the Winston Churchill Foundation, I believe, and they had just announced the creation, privately funded uh, creation of a new Winston Churchill monument. And when I saw that, it, it, it really, it was a really nice thing to see. That That's the kind of thing that I love to see people in this, in this era, Andrew, trying to defend history, trying to build monuments to to real heroes. And Winston Churchill is certainly one of those. But what a surprise. So uh, along comes a, a new Winston Churchill statue. And just like that, as we all could have predicted, the, the, the legacy media, CBC in particular, they come along trying to uh, bash, the, bash the concept and the, the usual procession of, uh, of people trying to rewrite history, talking about how Winston Churchill is not deserving of monuments. He's not deserving of new statues. And in this CBC article, they, they talk about how basically uh, this, is just, this is Jason Kenney's way of declaring what we must celebrate and what, 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 what warts be damned, I guess. I, I, I don't really understand this. So we're, we're building a monument to Winston Churchill, but it's, it's a terrible idea because Winston Churchill, in this article, as they say, was, uh, they said, no question, he was a racist and a white supremacist. <laughs> they just put that out in the article uh, from, from, a, from a University of Calgary historian. And then the article goes on to say, and this part really got under my skin, Andrew. The article then goes on to say that why would we need a new monument of Winston Churchill when there are schools named after Winston Churchill? There are roads named after Winston Churchill. Surely that's enough. Uh, that's enough for a man like Winston Churchill. And that got me thinking. We're seeing schools be renamed. We're seeing roads be renamed. So clearly, roads and schools are not enough to celebrate these great heroes that deserve far more recognition than they're getting now. Uh, it's just another classic CBC attempt, in my opinion, to bash the history of our country and kind of play along with this group of people that are trying to vandalize, tear down, and essentially, by doing so, rewriting our history. Yeah, I mean, this has always bothered me in general with historic figures. But with Winston Churchill, this was the original, like, the OG anti-fascist. Like, this was the guy, that the left says they're anti-fascist. This is the guy who defeated Hitler, for crying out loud. Like, it, you don't get more Antifa than Winston Churchill if you use, like, the literal meaning of Antifa. So the reality that they go around and their preferred slur on people is calling everyone a Nazi, calling everyone a fascist, calling everyone everyone a white supremacist and then you take the guy that liberated the world in large part from fascism and we say oh well you know what he might have had uh, he he might not have been big on the transgender bathrooms or uh, uh well you know he he might have made this joke or that line or that quip I, one of the things so he for starters he's british 
And, and I'm not making fun. My, my whole family is British. Brits talk differently than non-Brits do. So anytime you look at like Winston Churchill's quotables or uh, same as Prince Philip's, uh, you, you have to accept that and, and have a margin of British around what the acceptable levels of discourse are. But more importantly, we have to stop measuring people against this yardstick of 2022. And I think what Jason Kenney is promoting here, building a statue, is fantastic. I was just in Austria and Hungary uh, on vacation a few weeks back. And when you walk around, especially in Hungary, you look in, and the statues littering, littering the entire downtown of Budapest, for example. And you look at it and you say, I bet I could Google all of these people and find something to cancel them over. But you don't because you accept that they're a part of a country's story. They're a part of the world's story. And I think we should start a campaign for every statue that is taken down, we build two of them. For every statue that's taken down, we build two. We build the Winston Churchill statue. If they take that one, we build another one to Winston Churchill. And then we pick a bonus figure as well and do that. No, exactly. That's that's the kind of thing I love to see. And Or even, Andrew, if a statue comes down, you rebuild it in its place, but it gets a little bit taller every single time it comes down. So it becomes <laughs> it becomes more... So event, eventually Queen Victoria is like 87 feet tall. It's like, oh, wow. She's the, she, step, step aside, CN Tower. Uh, so, Queen Victoria is now the <laughs> tallest freestanding structure in the world. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? But here's my thing. Here's my problem too. This is the kind of thing that when I saw this, I I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the biggest Jason Kenney fan. But when I saw this, I thought this is an. Um, this is a fantastic initiative um, from a conservative premier in this country. It's obvious, as I said before, roads and schools are not enough. There are Queen Victoria public schools coming down and being renamed all across the country. And we know, for example, that in, in Toronto, the city is spending millions of dollars trying to rename Dundas because of how, how traumatizing the street name is for people. It's, it, it clearly, there is clearly an attempt from a, from a part of society to erase or try and rewrite the history or, or, or try and uh, cast a shade over our history so that we feel bad about it. And right now on, in Queens Park, the statue of John A. Macdonald is currently boarded up. I think it's been boarded up for over two years. And there's a conservative government in charge at Queen's Park. There, that statue is still boarded up. So while we, have an, uh, while we have a conservative government in Alberta building new statues, using private funds too, it's a completely different thing when the, when the state funds a statue or when a group like the Churchill Foundation, I think that's what they're called, when they privately crowdsource the funds to build a statue. Right now, the statue of... of, of our first prime minister, the man who basically created this country, is boarded up at Queen's Park because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to, we don't want to make people upset about John A. Macdonald's controversial views. It's crazy to me that we have the CBC telling us that actually, no, these, these monuments, they don't deserve a place in our country. We don't need to build new ones. It's, it's just ridiculous to me. And when I saw this, I thought, now that's a policy I can get behind. That's good to see. Yeah, I didn't realize the John A. McDonald statue is still boarded still up. Still boarded up. I generally try to avoid it's, downtown Toronto, so that's it's, actually quite disappointing. It's 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 incredible. It's this giant wooden box at the top of University Avenue. Like it's got it's it's a terrible eyesore, um, and it's it's bizarre to me too because behind it, and I don't even know if I want to say this publicly because maybe there are Antifa crazy people that are going to do something about it, but there's behind it, there's a Queen Victoria statue, a beautiful Queen Victoria statue, right up against the Queen's Park grounds. It hasn't been touched, thank God. It hasn't been vandalized. But it, it's just, it's crazy to me that we allow a symbol like John A. Macdonald to be boarded up for over almost two years in the middle of Toronto. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible thing that's happening. So 
Kudos to the people that crowdfunded this Winston Churchill statue. I just like to see more of them. Wouldn't it be great to have McDonald's statues, Churchill statues, once again, roaming the country? It would be just fantastic. I, I think one way around it is that we have to accept that most of these people that take down statues are complete idiots. They don't know or care about history. They don't know who Egerton Ryerson is. They just are told they have to hate him. They don't know who Johnny McDonald is. So I think we just take the name cards off of the statues and they won't know who it is. <laughs> exactly. Those that, are, those that are smart enough to at least do their research can think about, oh, that's a nice statue. And then everyone yeah. else can just go about their day like they always used to be. Yeah. And in a cashless society, it's not even like they can like check check against the currency and be like, oh, that uh, that looks like McDonald there. And uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, we, we had last week the media in a bit of a flurry over this uh, verbal attack on Christian Freeland in Calgary. Uh, you've seen the video now. We don't need to play that. I, my position on this is that it's wrong to harass people in that way. And it's not particularly productive either because you end up looking like the jerk and, and not them. But uh, anything that puts some in a position where they're feeling threatened is, is not good, and that's true whether you're going after a liberal politician, a conservative politician, or whether you're going after your neighborhood mechanic. It doesn't matter. But you have to look at the double standards that come out from government condemnations here. And I, I'm not saying, but what about? I'm, I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy here. Justin Trudeau condemned uh, what he called hate-filled rants and violent words. Take a look. There's a huge reflection we have to have about the kind of country we want to be. And to understand that the tone of our democracy, the tone of our political debates is set by those politicians who get sent to Ottawa to represent their communities. And if there isn't clear condemnation of the kind of cowardly bullying we've seen, of the kind of hate-filled rants and violent words used against people, to say this has no place in our democracy. We can disagree, and we need to disagree with each other on policies, on perspectives. That's a robust debate that has to happen amongst Canadians to make sure we're getting it right as a collective, as a country. But to limit the ability of women, of racialized Canadians to serve in government or to hold government to account as journalists, which is the goal of a number of Canadians with very loud voices, well, that's something all parliamentarians and all leaders need to stand against, need to be unequivocal in being responsible leaders to say, no, we are not going to become that toxic, polarized country that some think we should become. So... This is never a prime minister that would stoop to hateful words or violent rhetoric, right, Harrison? Certainly not. No, I mean, what we know from Trudeau is he's the, he's the beacon of civility, Andrew. He, he, he is, he's a uniter of this country, uh, someone who, who's presided over a country that's never been more united under his leadership. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And again, not to say, again, we don't want to do the whole whataboutism, but without it, we're just not allowed to call out the selective outrage that we get from, from these liberal leaders. I mean, of course, you have, to, you have to look at both sides of this and say, well, where were you guys when your prime minister, your leader, was telling unvaccinated Canadians, you know, that they, 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 something needs to be done about them? I, I mean, we, we've seen the footage. We've seen the videos. 
um, saying that the people that were, that were protesting in Ottawa are a small fringe minority with unacceptable views. Talk about uniting. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent the views of Canadians who have been there for each other, who know that following the science and stepping up to protect each other is the best way to continue to ensure our freedoms, our rights, our values as a country. Ah, uh, yes, it seems like just yesterday that his political enemies were a, an unacceptable fringe minority. And, and then there was this clip from the election last year where he was literally campaigning on this sort of divisive rhetoric. Oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on, sait, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont en train d'hésiter un petit peu. On va continuer d'essayer de les convaincre. Mais il y a aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui ne croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, qui sont souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, 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 un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on... Est-ce qu'on tolère ces gens-là ou est-ce qu'on dit, ben voyons, la plupart des gens, presque 80% des Québécois, ont fait ce qu'il fallait faire, se sont fait vacciner, on veut revenir à, 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 aux choses qu'on aime faire, c'est pas ces gens-là qui vont nous bloquer maintenant. It's in French, but he's saying that uh, unvaccinated people are generally racist, misogynist, extremists. So, uh, where is the pearl-clutchy condemnation of that when you have a prime minister who's deliberately trying to inflame people? And again, not at all for a second am I justifying people that lash out and respond, but it's that I don't believe they are actually as interested in civility and de-escalation as they're pretending when someone goes after one of theirs. That's all. No, of course not, Andrew. They're, they're not. They're not interested in that. They they will they will they will use division when it matters for them, and then they will bring out the unity card when they have this great opportunity to talk about why this is wrong and and, and when they when, when Canadians shouldn't do it. But what Justin Trudeau said in that French clip, I think, and I, I thought about this before we went on the, before we did the recording, after watching that clip again, that is probably going to be one of the most disgraceful things I think the prime minister has maybe ever said as leader of our country. It's so unbelievably divisive. You, you've, you've seen that clip, I'm sure, many different places. People use that as a way to talk about who our leader is in our country because of just how, just how insane it is to say those words, to say the things that unvaccinated Canadians are are racist, are misogynistic. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's frankly the lowest of the low when it comes to dividing. And again, not, again, like we said, not to try and make excuses for bad behavior. We can all condemn bad behavior. But if you tell Canadians, if you're, if you're a leader of a country and you tell Canadians that make their own medical choice, that they are some of the, wor they are some of the worst things, racist, misogynist, for making their own medical decision, there is going to be backlash. There is going to be a group of people that are going to, that are going to, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, take things too far. And, and, and that's, that, that shouldn't take a, a rocket scientist to know that that's going to, that's going to happen if you say those words. And so, I mean, it's not, it's, it's sad to see. I think we can all agree that it's sad to see this, this sort of descent in, in, into this lack of civility we're all experiencing, but it's not like it's come out of nowhere. No, and I guess that's the point, is that I, if we want to have a real discussion about civility and de-escalation, you can't 
talk about and treat your political enemies the way the liberals are. And, and I would also say the way the media is, with, with a few notable exceptions. So uh, very well said. But again, I mean, we've talked about a lot of lighter stuff on this show. I, I think we need to get to some more serious topics here so that people don't feel they were shortchanged. Uh, and, and truly, I mean, I'm, I'm even a bit nervous because there's a fair bit of controversy in this. But how do you make a Nanaimo bar? This has been a legitimate question that has entered the political discourse this week. Like I said, very controversial. Pierre Polyev shared this exchange with a woman he met in Nanaimo, B.C. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm in Nanaimo with Katrina, and guess what she made for me? You guessed it, Nanaimo bars. And the it best turns, Nanaimo bars. You left out the keywords. sorry. It turns out that she makes the best Nanaimo bars, not in Nanaimo, but in the entire world. What's the secret? Love. Love, that's the secret ingredient. Don't tell anybody of that. That's the patented ingredient. If you, if you share that, we'll, you'll be hearing from her lawyer. But uh, why aren't you making as many Nanaimo bars anymore? Um, well, I, during COVID January of 2021, yep. I opened up a small roadstead bake stand because yep. I needed uh, money to pay my kids' school fees and sport fees. Right. And I found that in times of COVID, a lot of people, mainly seniors, were coming by just for a friendly face. We all masked up. We yep. all practiced all the social distancing. But it meant a lot to them to come out on Saturday and talk with somebody. Right. Unfortunately, we um, I had a real setback in February this year. Right. So I temporarily shut down my bake stand. And now that I wanted to reopen it six months later, the price of flour has doubled, sugar, butter, and it's cost prohibitive for me to reopen wow. it. Wow. So the price of flour, sugar, butter, butter other ingredients, and eggs, in addition to love, that go into these Nanaimo bars, too expensive. Just, just, just too expensive, just inflation. That's why we're going to stop creating cash. We're going to start creating more of what cash buys, get rid of the inflationary taxes so that we can have more of these love-infused Nanaimo bars. Let, you want more, trust me. I will. I can resist everything except temptation. Thank you. The woman said that the cost of goods is going up, including the cost of flour. And a lot of people would say, wow, yeah, I understand. Inflation's a bit of a big deal there. Uh, but no, Jean Charest's campaign co-chair, Tasha Kiridin, who is a lovely woman. I've, I've worked with her on projects. We used to work for the same company. I, I don't quite buy where she's going with this one. She points out the real fact check here. There's no flour in Nanaimo bars. Well, uh, believe it or not, this is now something we have to fact check. Harrison, what did you figure out? Well, so wh from, what I, from what I saw, it turns out that to make an Nanaimo bar, you need graham crackers. Uh, and it looks as though in graham crackers, there's flour. So that would, that would lead me to think, Andrew, I'm not, a, I'm not a baking expert. I'm not a cooking expert by any means. Uh, but it would lead me to believe that that would mean flour is in Nanaimo bars. And I mean, when, when you make such a, a big statement like, like Polyev did, a, a real shot across the bow, uh, and, then, and, then, and then the John Charest campaign comes in right behind it, coming after them for the flower statement. Clearly, we needed, we needed, to, we needed to figure this out. And it turns out, it looks as though, uh, not, not making any, any serious uh, statements, not to get in, in the way of this very serious political dialogue, but it looks as though flower is involved in Nanaimo bars. Yeah, if she is making the graham crackers from scratch, there is flour in them. I mean, the re like it's it's an amusing story in in some respects, but it's also proof of the danger of political discourse right now. That if you are against someone, 
you will just not even quite think about where you're going with your attacks on them and the implications of that. Because when I saw this video, I thought the woman was talking about in general. She runs a bake shop. Presumably she bakes things other than Nanaimo bars, and they would involve having to buy flour. So I didn't even necessarily know it was just an example of uh, Nanaimo bars and flour. But, but that's what people focus in on. <laughs> Well, no, exactly. And you say, you can imagine sort of, you can imagine the, the charade campaign or uh, Tasha Curitan sitting there going, oh, we got them. We got them on this. There's no flower in Nanaimo bars. It's just, <laughs> it's just a bizarre sort She's of She's a plant. She's a plant. <laughs> this is going to be, this is going to be a great, this is going to be a great comeback. We're going to get them on the Nanaimo bar recipe. Uh, instead of talking about, I don't know, something about, something actually that matters to the campaign. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of people saying, after this whole Nanaimo bar debacle, this Nanaimo bar fallout. Nanaimo gate. Yeah, the Nanaimo gate. A lot of people were saying, can this just be over, please? I mean, we've reached, I think, we reached a conclusion. We spent a long enough time talking about the issues. Now we're, now we're talking about Nanaimo bars. Let's just move on now and uh, see where this goes. I don't think we're going to get any more big policy statements coming from any of these two. So there's milk in Nanaimo bars. And the only reason I bring that up is to say that the fact that supply management has somehow become less controversial than whether there's flour in Nanaimo bars is a sign that, as you mentioned, the leadership race has gone on too long. But it's over in eight days. It's September 2nd now. It's over on September 10th. So fear not, the Nanaimo gate will be ending soon enough. And that's what we call in the business, my friends, a callback. What a great note to end on. Harrison Faulkner, always a pleasure. I am Andrew Lawton. This is Fake News Friday on True North. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone.